I don't know if you if you both saw, but we have a new Superman and Lois Lane. The guys on WB or or whatever it is. No, no. Uh, so James Gunn uh, has cast. They had a like a final roster, which they actually reported out of you know six different actors. And... I'm gonna say Nicolas Cage got it right. Finally, <laughs> at long last. Um, uh, there is a great documentary, I believe, about the about the Nicolas Cage uh, abortive Tim Burton Superman. The winners are David Cornsweet and Rachel Brosnahan. Uh, Corin Sweat is probably not known to either of you because you don't happen to have uh, a wife who watches everything that comes out of the brain of Ryan Murphy. Um, he made his uh, uh, sort of you know, significant leap in his career by being uh, in a Ryan Murphy series called The Politician, which uh, I have uh, sadly, despite the the cast being quite good on paper, is terrible. <laughs> and uh and was that the high school election miniseries yes it was yes, i saw was. that <laughs> i started to watch the second season it was truly awful wait truly... so it's about a high it's about a high school election yes <laughs> believe it wow. or not it's about a high school election uh and then it is about the subsequent political career of uh the key figure from said high school election corn sweat looks kind of like if you had a mini me of henry cavill um, he's got yeah, that, I'm looking at him now. Yeah, he's got that jaw, you know, that jawline going for him. Um, I am more excited about uh, the fact that they chose Rachel Brosnahan. I don't know if you're a fan of uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, um, but at least the first few seasons of that show are quite good, and she's quite good in it. Uh, and she's, uh, you know, frankly, someone who is as non-Jewish as she is playing a Jewish character. Uh, she really does, I think, nail the part. <laughs> Um, and, uh, so it'll you want to expand on that? What you mean by that, Ben? Well, <laughs> Let's make some I, headlines. <laughs> I just would say there were a lot of people. There were a lot of, of, uh, my friends who were Jewish fans of the series who were extremely disappointed to learn that there's like not even a little bit of Jewishness about Rachel Brosnahan. She's playing, you know, this Jewish comedian in a very Jewish household. And uh, no, no, none of that whatsoever. Um, Acting comments about brisket. Um, well, yeah, you know, I know her a little bit. She's she's a good plucky uh, Lois Lane type figure. Yeah. Um, I figure she'll do a fast talking impression of um, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe Jennifer Jason Lee from Hudsucker Proxy, which is the way that Lois Lane ought to be from my perspective. As yeah, his girl Friday, that kind of. That yeah, kinda exactly, idea. exactly, but. Um, but uh, the thing is, and and this is the thing that I think we have to keep in mind whenever they're sort of rebooting Superman, uh, uh, is that the reason, and this is uh, something, this is Stephen Miller's hobby horse, but the reason that Hollywood can't make Superman movies anymore that are any good is that he's for truth, justice, and the American way, and they hate all three of those things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I, I just... I do, I do have uh, hopes for James Gunn because he's an an interesting honcho to put at the head of DC after his success with the DC. Yeah, but it's, it's going to be canceled. an ironic Superman, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, like it's going to be like a Deadpool Guardians of the Galaxy Superman. I I assume. Um, I always thought, you know, the Superman Batman, and, and no means original to me. This is a this is a well worn trope but superman movies are harder to make because he's so much more powerful right i mean yeah. it's harder to make 
it's the world villain. of cardboard speech from the animated series. It's like it's like basically every time I punch somebody, I'm holding back because I could literally murder you. Yeah, <laughs> and um, you know, I I think that that's that that's definitely a part of it. But I also just think that the the sunshine hopefulness uh, of of Superman is just very hard to translate to screen, um, and that kind of immigrant story that is that is inherent with him. Uh, is just less preferable. It's why you get so many different Batman movies uh, because it's easier to do the dark, gritty, nighttime all the time kind of thing, uh, especially for for actors who want to go through that. And the villains are better. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. And the, you know they 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 say every sci-fi movie is about the era that it's written or made in, right? Um, it's not about you know obviously obviously they're not about the future they're about now and there is i mean miller's right about that there's nothing about the current moment and certainly not the people who get hollywood blockbusters greenlit that you know befits that classic christopher reeves uh superman but those movies hold up by the way uh mm-hmm. they're 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 still great the first two especially yeah well also that i mean Hackman. Hackman is part of the, you know, the mm-hmm. Hackman and then uh, Terrence Stamp, uh, respectively. You know, it's it's uh, it's good to have good actors as, as villains. Yeah. Um, the uh, the thing is, of course, that besides uh, all of this, what we're going to be dealing with this time around is an absolute um, uh, thanks to the power of AI, just millions upon millions of uh, images of Donald Trump in a Superman suit. Uh, and I just want you to prepare yourself for that because that's going to be one of the things that the online people do at an even bigger degree than they've already done it. I've seen the the Trump Rambo poster. Uh, it's all over the place. I've seen the uh, the various, you know, sort of uh, Trump as like gladiator and things like that. But I don't think we are mentally prepared for the number of Trump Superman memes that people are going to be able to create in their spare time. Did he sell NFTs with him with the with the outfit on? Sorry, did he sell NFTs with him with the outfit on? Uh, it's very possible. I did not look at all the NFTs. I'm sorry, I am not an expert on this. Didn't do your due diligence. Well, if he had, then I'm sure he will. Well, I think I think it's very. uh, uh, It's going to be it's going to be uh, amusing to see how many how many different Superman outfits that they have in time for for Comic Con with Trump. Uh, all right, gentlemen, it is Thunderdome, and we are talking, of course, about uh, the current contest uh, going into 2024 among uh, these various figures, uh, some of whom uh, are more natural Superman uh, figures, perhaps, than others. Uh, others can perhaps you know, occupy other superhero standings within the Hall of Justice. Uh, the current situation is pretty dire i would say when it comes to if the election was held today uh for one florida governor ron DeSantis. if you look at a lot of these different polls that are out there uh he clearly is kind of stuck at this you know 20 to 25 kind of position when you look at the uh, early state polls the story is pretty similar um and i just have to i have to ask you both you know, this stall that he's experiencing certainly seems to be something that he's trying to combat through, you know, additional media interviews, outreach, et cetera. He did this thing uh, with Bill Malugin, uh, with 
uh, you know, going to the border and uh, talking to him at length about his border policies, how he would deliver where, you know, Donald Trump failed, et cetera. What can he do to get out of that kind of lull in his uh, in his momentum uh, in order to actually make himself on, uh, you know, firmer ground across from uh, the former president, if if possible at all? Dan, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I, you know, I've, 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 I've said consistently, you know, he basically has to run a perfect race. Um, you know, he can't, he can't screw up once. And, and as we know, you know, Trump is starting from such a commanding lead that he can screw up a lot. And, you know, the fact that, you know, a federal indictment barely slowed him down, I think is evidence of that. I mean, I, I, I think the New Hampshire polling, which was really, really the, the last New Hampshire poll, which is really bad for, DeSantis, you know, the only sort of saving grace from that is, you know, New Hampshire voters tend to decide late. Um, and so there's 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 plenty of time there. They're kind of uniquely aware, even even more so in some ways than Iowa because of the caucus versus the electoral uh, structure in New Hampshire, even more so than Iowa. They're kind of uniquely aware of their status and they're and they're kind of uniquely <laughs> reflective, those early state voters among among primary voters. So there's still time from there. He's going to get a, he's going to get a boost. Like, I think, I think it's safe to say that he's going to get a boost from appearing on a debate stage, getting, you know, a national audience in prime time. Um, you know, when people are really starting to pay attention to the race, a few things will happen to Trump between now and then no doubt um, that could give him, you know, potential opportunities around the margin. But look, I mean, I think it's clear, you know, the comps to say Hillary and Obama in 2008, you know, um, Hillary never had a lead over Obama as big as Trump does over DeSantis. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's going to be, it's going to be a a historic comeback um, if there is one. And what's the answer? I mean, I think in short, you know, his we we've talked about his extremely online comms advisors and i think you know by all accounts he has a serious organization on the ground in new hampshire and certainly in iowa um he's going to have to put a lot more resources into that game i think and stop you know focusing on the twitter first reddit first online first style of campaigning that characterized his launch if he's going to hope to make up that ground. But look, a lot of the stuff I'll, I'll shut up after this is out of his control. Um, we kind of know that Trump has this floor and it's incredibly sticky. And moreover, there's this coordination problem, which is exactly like the 2016 coordination problem, if not even worse. And a kind of tragedy of the commons where all these people are you know, running these brand building campaigns for the presidency. And some of them legitimately think, they're going to win and arguably one or two of them are stalking horses for Trump and all these people are in DeSantis's way. And so even if he, you know, jumps up 15, 20 points, um, there's just not, there aren't enough outstanding votes out there barring a very narrow uh, path that he has to stick to for him to win. So it's definitely uphill. You know, the, the poll that you referenced, I assume is the St. Anselm, Anselm, uh, a poll that was released. Uh, it showed a 28 point lead uh, for Trump over DeSantis, uh, including DeSantis falling by 10 points uh, from the last time that they had done the survey back in March, uh, down to 19% overall. Uh, John, same question to you. Is there, is there something that DeSantis can do to turn this around uh, and, you know, uh, to gain some momentum or is a certain part of this that until he's actively, engaged 
uh, in battle, meaning, you know, in the context of a debate stage or something like that, uh, he kind of needs that in order to, he needs that performance on, uh, you know, a major stage uh, to actually inject some type of momentum into his campaign. If I'm the DeSantis camp, I'm a little bit worried about his stature on that stage. Um, the, he because they're going to be you know if provided you know Donald Trump shows up, Ron DeSantis is going to be what at best the third most capable or personable person, most personable you know individual on the stage maybe. Uh, I you know I think it's going to be the you know Chris Christie and Donald Trump show. Um, and right now, for for better or worse, Christie is interesting, and you know DeSantis is just you know. Trump, but I'm going to get stuff done. And, you know, it, it's sort of, I, I can't remember who had made this comment on Twitter the other day, you know, victim of onlineness myself. Uh, but how much of, you know, the, the, the Santa's criticizing, well, Trump never finished the border wall or Trump never did this or that, or the other thing that he said he was going to do. How much for Trump's voters is just saying the thing, how much of it is just, yeah. you know, breaking the norm and, you know, DeSantis may be a, a, a trying to solve the wrong problem, um, it, which, look, I, I don't think Chris Christie is going to be the nominee. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, just to put that in perspective, you know, uh, you know, DeSantis is at 19 in New Hampshire. Uh, Chris Christie is at third with six percent. So it's it's like there's another big drop off there. But go ahead. Yeah, sure. But there's a long time between here and there. And I think the difference between. Here's my here is my sort of theory of the case for for Christie. Um, and again, I don't I, I think if if I ever pick anybody in the field to just say like, hey, I want this guy because I think he's probably going to be the best against Joe Biden. It's probably Tim Scott. But I think with Christie, um, he's he's not never Trump, right? He's basically like f that guy, you know. Mm-hmm. And it basically is Trump energy directed back at Trump for somebody who is I still think probably the most naturally talented person on a debate stage. Um, so how how does DeSantis get that moment? Uh, and we saw what we saw what Chris Christie did to Marco Rubio. Um, you know, Chris Christie is incredibly media savvy. He's going to be on all the shows. And you know, look, I think most of the never Trump people now are are Democrats, but people that have a discomfort with Trump, or maybe even people that like the style of Trump, but. You know, I think Chris Christie kind of, you know, if again, if it's about saying the hard truths or saying things that are, you know, breaking shibboleths, um, Chris Christie, you know, kind of gives you that too. I, I think what's, you know, so I don't, I don't know what the Sanders can do to break out of it because, like, I think he was, he was a victim of high expectations and, like, what's he done that's been interesting in the last few weeks? Um, you know, where I think Christie has got more upside. I think Tim Scott, if he got exposure. Uh, probably has more upside. Uh, I, I, th- I mean, the more you hear about it, the more I think Doug Burgum, like again, not going to be the nominee, but it's like kind of it's kind of interesting and kind of different. Um, in, in the same way that Trump in 2016 drew a lot of attention because it was interesting and different. Uh, but you know, I think Dan is, I think Dan is largely right. But I think with this caveat, um, Donald Trump seems like he has hit. He may have a very high floor, but he also has a very low ceiling. Uh, in 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 the general certainly, mm-hmm. uh, but you know to some degree in the primary, you know for all the things that have happened in the last few months that have sort of, I won't say the indictment has gone his way, but I think it sort of lets him play his greatest hits again. He's still hanging around what fifty percent maybe in a lot of these states, and there's still 
um, talking about polls, there was a, a Marquette University Law School, you know, well-regarded Wisconsin poll out earlier today. And again, we're talking about a state that's a little bit later in the process, but it's basically got Trump and DeSantis roughly tied uh, within a point of each other. Uh, again, I think Wisconsin was a state that was more sort of kind of like the Midwestern Utah uh, during the 2016 primary that was more Trump averse. But the question, I think the question is who ends up being the anti, the not Trump in this race. And I don't think it's a foregone conclusion anymore that it's Ron DeSantis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, just I pop, just... pop quiz. Wait, wait, wait. Pop quiz for both of you. Do the top three, New Hampshire, 2016 and 2012. Oh God. I didn't know there was well, going to be 20, a test. In 2012, which count are we talking about? Because I think Rick Santorum might've actually won or Romney. Uh, depending on where, where in the, where in the night. No, no, that was, that was Iowa. That was Iowa. New Hampshire. New New Hampshire. Hampshire. I think, didn't think Trump won in uh, 16, didn't he? Trump won uh, New Hampshire easily. Yeah. yeah, Yes. Yes. But I just, I just want to see if you can get the top three because it's weird. Both of them are weird. Um, (laughs) Um, Gosh, that's. uh, Okay. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll say. Iowa was Cruz. I mean, Iowa was Cruz in 2016. Yeah. We remember Iowa more than we remember New Hampshire because New Hampshire doesn't really matter anymore, except, of course, it saved, uh, uh, you know, it saved a lot of candidates' bacon historically. Uh, In in 2016, uh, it was Donald Trump uh, followed by John Kasich. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that. I didn't want to embarrass my third. and And then in third, with double digits, Ted Cruz. Uh, I didn't know that. In 2012, it was Mitt Romney. But the big thing was that John Huntsman came in third behind Ron Paul. He could not best Ron Paul in New Hampshire, despite basically living there. Uh, and that was pretty. And that was the end of his candidacy. So, um, so basically, the pattern is front runner, moderate winger, kind of of the. And see, no, that's that, but you know, you, you if you're calling head, right? Ron Paul a moderate, I'll take that. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, no, winger, he's the winger, but yeah. but no, that that Kasich number two finish, right? Because we all know what Kasich became later in the race and certainly after. That is the that is such a great microcosm. What a, a total dipshit. Exactly, <laughs> oh, but, no, no, exactly, sorry, he, yeah. al- he already was that. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> the son, the son of a postman. That's what he became. Now the 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 fight the that, darkness. <laughs> that's the crux of the problem for DeSantis is that in a, in a state like New Hampshire, for sure, is that you know, and again, the fact that Trump is leading in in New Hampshire now, it's a primary electorate, but it's a moderate quote unquote state right and and that's always the structural role it played in the early gop primaries as it did on the dem side and you know as the dems have their own you know equivalents of those sorts of things so that was always that's that's always the role it's supposed to play but you ended up in 2016 again because of a crowded field where everyone has their little niche and there's not two lanes but 16 you end up with weird results like that from a guy who hung around the longest for sure Kasich hung around and fought to the bitter end against Trump, but with zero chance to do anything against him. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge problem for DeSantis because he's got to deal with eight other guys who are exactly like that. You're you're totally right in the sense that like the the third, the second or third person, assuming that DeSantis is either the second or the third, you know, depending on how things play out, you know, his the person who comes out of that as the third wheel uh, could definitely justify saying, I'm just going to stay in this, you know, uh, and even if I don't have the resources to win uh, because of my performance. And I think that that's definitely, you know, someone who, you know, might not rack up a lot of wins, but, you know, in the, in the case of what you were just saying about Christie, you know, could get all of the different media attention 
hype, et cetera. He spoke to the uh, Faith and Freedom Conference uh, this past weekend where they had, I mean, uh, credit to to Ralph Reed for his continued relevance. Uh, he got everybody in there, you know, even even Francis Suarez, who we'll get to. Uh, and, uh, you know, the the uh, the Christie appearance actually got booed, which I thought was was interesting. Um, he got booed basically for being uh, uh, very forthright uh, about uh, the the aspects of, um, uh, you know, of, uh, you know, uh, the defects of Donald Trump um, that, you know, uh, I mean, here's here's one quote. Uh, he said, I don't know how it benefited the American people for him to take highly sensitive intelligence and secret documents out of the White House, to stonewall the government on returning them for over a year and a half, to subject himself to a raid by the FBI, even though they asked him to voluntarily return his stuff, and then to be subject to an indictment, which is obviously going to be one of the great troubles for the country because no one wants to see this happen. Donald Trump says that's for us. I mean, it's absurd. And he got booed. Uh, and he, uh, he, he said he wasn't surprised to be booed to say something like that. John, you're the, you're the Christie Stan. Uh, <laughs> what, what do you think about his, his approach to even insulting an audience like that by telling them basic facts? <laughs> I think that, first of all, I think that those were probably never Chris Christie's voters. And I think you've got to give somebody credit for going into that room and saying what you believe. I mean, I think that that's kind of, um, you know, the tell it like it is thing. That's, that's his super PAC. And I, I think that, look, I think it's, we've, we're talking about it, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think mission accomplished there. If you're trying to brand yourself as a, as sort of the turn the page guy, who more than anybody else in this race right now is, is doing that. Everyone else is playing some sort of, you know, make America great again, kind of greatest hits or we're the diet version of it, or we're the ultra MAGA, you know, the, the Ramaswani thing that wants me to be even like more, um, and again, with the package of the guy that is, I think that you guys would both agree, infinitely more talented than John Huntsman, infinitely more talented than um, John Kasich, um, you know, a guy that won a very blue state twice um, and, you know, even had the power to shut down a bridge in the New York City and, you know, was dinged up by it. But I, I think it says a lot about kind of this period in politics where it's become so transactional for, you know, faith groups to kind of wrap themselves around somebody. And Ben, I think you wrote a lot about this back in 2016 as it was happening, that it was sort of going to be a strong man for them. Right. Mm-hmm. And by and large, Trump delivered. But, you know, you'd have to ask the question. And again, I don't think Christie is the guy to do it. But, um, you know, you, you, you know, Trump enabled you know, the, you know, the Dobbs decision. But, you know, he was the one telling people the next day what a mistake it was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, you know, Christie continues to hit on and was, you know, in, in you know, talking even about how Trump's, you know, campaign is diverting money to his PAC to pay legal fil- bills of, you know, who is he in for, you know, you or, um, uh, you know, for, or for himself. Now, mm-hmm. do I think, I don't think there's a critical mass to, um, I, I think Christie could actually do a lot of damage. I mean, the question is, if you are Joe Biden or Gavin Newsom or whoever, you know, how many, how many swing voters is running an ad with Chris Christie, you know, longtime Republican, uh, just taking Trump to the woodshed in an incredibly colorful way. How many times are we going to see those? No. Um, so I, I think that, I, I, I think again, 
tell me somebody else in this race who has a better theory of the case on how to win. Again, I don't think he can. I don't think he's even going to come close, but he has a, you know, he has an ethos and he is sticking to it and it's different. Well, I would just say the one thing I think John is right about, I don't share his, as he, as you guys know, I don't share his assessment of Christie's talent, really. I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I don't think he's ba- a bad communicator, a bad politician. And I was the OG Christie stand in, you know, 2009, 2010. But um, I'll just say the thing I think you're right about is that from a media per- perspective, if you're covering the debates, if you're writing the questions on one of the MSM sponsored debates such as they are um you know you you now have a juicier storyline in Christie v trump than you did than you do with desantis v trump it's more interesting to you it speaks to your conception of the world i'm saying if you're a you know cnn anchor or a pbs you know news hour analyst you know it speaks to your conception of the world it 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 touches your your the pleasure centers in your in your brain you know and and just to just to connect that i mean one of the things to keep in mind is that you know you look at the people who endorse desantis you know if you were going to bring on like a surrogate for desantis uh it's somebody like chip roy who you hate you know it's it's someone it's it's all going to be like conservatives you hate uh already not someone who you know hits on things where Jake Tapper or you know uh, you know pick your Ed O'Keefe or you know any of the folks uh, over I can't even remember the names of the you know political hacks that they have hosting shows at ABC you know what the 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 point is just sort of they are not going to be nodding along with your criticism of Donald Trump right. for being insufficiently conservative. Or and not that's, delivering and, on conservative promises. Yeah, and that's and that's really the problem for any kind of Christie like shot at doing anything is that he, you know, you said John, you said those aren't his voters. Well, I think Chris Christie's voters are people like you know, like bull workers like Jonathan Last, and there's a huge problem. They're not going to vote for him anyway, I, right? I, yeah, They're going to vote I, for I, Joe Biden. I hate Democrats. to, I hate to I you know, as someone, as someone who once talked to Jonathan Last about his voting pattern, he's he is a a John Kerry voter, uh, he is a Barack Obama voter, and he is a Hillary Clinton voter. So you're never going to get him. <laughs> yeah. So so that's the thing. There's there there is a group of people who want to hear Christie's attack. I just don't know that many of them are Republican primary voters. I but so explain. I mean, so but there there is a market for somebody else. Why is Trump not at eighty percent then or ninety percent? Yeah. Why is he stuck at fifty? Yeah, I mean, this is a fascinating question, and I don't pretend to have the answer. What I what I will say is, I look at people like I'm going to do the old instead of you know, diner goers in in Des Moines. I'm going to do my mom and my six uncles and aunts, who are all to the to a one of them were Trump voters in in 2016. I think maybe a couple of them stayed home in 2020, and the the where they come down is they don't you know we just have to understand that GOP voters like it's not a it's not a reaction of undying love or or complete disgust to Donald Trump. It's much more fluid. It's transactional. They're not as scandalized by all the norm violations as, you know, those of us in the Beltway, you know, and on the I-95 corridor, you know, maybe wanted and hoped them to be. They're much more fluid on it. But people like, you know, my my mom and my uncles, I have heard things from them early in the cycle like, you know, the, it, it's it's not things like as simple as it's not great that he's under indictment. It sounds pretty bad, you know, but they haven't made up their mind about whether or not they're going to, you know, uh, support him 
again. So I do think that there is some doubt and there's room for somebody to come in. But what I've been saying all along about Christie is, you know, again, he's making the Democrats case against Trump. And by the way, I agree with a lot of it, you know, I, you know, but but it's the kind of thing that, you know, Democratic media elites and Democratic voters and people who are not you know, really decision makers and GOP primaries want to hear, which is whereas, you know, the original theory for DeSantis was that he could kind of cobble together these disparate elements um, that that are not, you know, Trump aligned, both the people who want a more effective Trump and the people who want anybody but Trump just to, you know, just diffuse that bomb and deal with the wreckage of the Republican Party later. Um, So anyway, I mean, I, I don't that's not a compelling answer, but I but, you know, to say that there's you know, room to defeat Trump, I think is something we all agree with. I just don't know. I, I don't see how somebody attacking him from the left, as it were, is going to be the man for the job. But, but is it attacking him from the left? I mean, if you're talking about, you know, how does how does the Christie message not appeal at some level to defense hawks? And at some point, how can you not universalize the message of, and, and I think we've talked about this last week of, hey, you know what, if I'm president, Everyone's going to get a fair shot and we're going to prosecute Hillary. We're going to prosecute Biden and we're going to prosecute Trump. You know, I, I think that there is a I, I think there's a latent sense of and, and rightfully so, 100 percent rightfully so of unfairness that there are, you know, uh, going back, you know, you, you know, guys, have, we've known each other for a while that, you know, there's been times where I referred to myself as kind of a John Edwards Republican because I think there are two Americas. I think he was right about that. I think his solutions to all those were absolutely idiotic. But I, I think and I think Trump tapped into that. But he's also shown himself to be a part of that America that said, well, I'm a rich guy and I can throw, you know, I'm going to wave these papers around. No, they're not really these papers, but I had these papers. Um, if if yeah. it's not that, I don't know what the theory of the case is. So so I don't want to disrupt the conversation, but I do want to just point out that papers comment that you just made. Uh, we got kind of a tease of what the Trump defense argument is going to be an additional one uh, from uh, some comments that Trump made uh, in uh, in an interview, which he uh, did aboard his plane with Semaphore and ABC News. Once again, he turns to uh, the most, you know, swampy of of uh, of uh, people to uh, make his case. He just can't quit Maggie Haberman. Um, and he made the case to them that, uh, quote, I would say it was bravado. If you want to know the truth. It was bravado. I was talking and just holding up papers and talking about them, but I had no documents. I didn't have any documents. I just held up a whole pile of my desk is loaded up with papers. I have papers from 25 different things. Uh, And at one point, Trump gestured to the seat next to him on the plane where a stack of various papers, newspapers, copies of his speech, printouts of articles sat. He grabbed some from the pile, placed them in front of him, moved them around as he spoke, and offered a physical reenactment of what he said was occurring on the audio tape. Gentlemen, uh, is this is yeah. an indictment of people who need everything printed out? Uh, we've had, you know, <laughs> please print from Hillary, and then we have this guy who has all these papers. You know, uh, I don't know about you. I don't own a printer. Uh, I can't remember the last thing that I had printed out other than uh, other than a return label for something. And, uh, you know, is this an indictment of people who actually collect papers in the first place and should have just kept everything, uh, you know, on their on their iPad or on their phone? And it, it also reminds me that I couldn't help but think about the dude, the you know, the the dude where he's reporting his uh, his car stolen yes. to the cops and they ask about the briefcase. What was in the briefcase? Yeah, you know, uh, various papers, business 
newspapers, you know. And so, <laughs> what do you do, sir? I'm unemployed. Um, I... so, no, so, so I, I would say, you know, I do own a printer. It's useful primarily for exactly what you just said for return labels, also for signing stuff and scanning it. But it is it is like the piece of technology that has stalled out just in terms of quality. I mean, my printer behaves roughly as well as my printer behaved in 1996. Yeah. And that is such a such an indictment. But on the on the actual grounds, I think I said this when we first talked about, you know, the Brett Bear interview. I actually think that's a as good of a legal defense as I've heard. And two things I'll say real quick. One is you can tell he's really, really worried about this case because his lawyers gave him those lines and he stuck to them. Right. And he didn't he didn't say essentially F you they're my my boxes, as as mm -hmm. I'm sure he was tempted to again. Um, so he's really worried about it. Two, the the most amazing thing about that defense is it relies on the fact that any juror in the state of Florida knows that he's a liar and a bullshitter. Yeah. And and that absolutely that's something he <laughs> it's, would it's do. Basically, it's basically him saying, you know like a liar <laughs> like yeah like you know how i do and that but that makes it honestly and i'm not i wish i were kidding like a pretty compelling legal defense well the, the other thing is opinion. i don't i don't see any situation where the witnesses involved would be able to prove that what he held up to them was exactly and and, and the other yeah, thing but is there, that one of the things he's being charged with i mean well, but we, there's we, one we but there's one more element of this which i just found hilarious but which is that uh in the documents that they are charging him over there are no Iran plans, at least according to multiple reports, including from CNN, meaning that that if he had them at that point, he must have then given them. They must have been part of the document uh, dump that he gave back, which I right. just think is hilarious. You know, if he held on to it just to make a point in a meeting, you know, assuming that he's not, you know, lying and, and that, you know, it was not bravado. He just held on to them to impress some low level uh, you know, ghostwriters for Mark Meadows in a book that sold like 6,000 copies. Anyway. Yeah. John, go I, ahead. I think, Dan, I would turn that just back around of, you know, yeah, liar and bullshitter. But at the same time, is it really hard to imagine him taking that kind of stuff? Like, oh, I'm going to take the lamps. These are nice. Oh, like these are good, like. No, he did. Now. I mean, yeah, we know he took that stuff, you know, but, that, <laughs> but that's not the issue. But it's to me, the thing that's hard to believe is that he would ever have occasion to look at Iran battle plans on his desk because like that would that would assume that he took an interest in it and so off you know like was interested in the details of the military planning or the strategic implications or had some reason to retain them and talk about it and i just don't think the man ever gave that much thought to any single aspect of his time in the presidency <laughs> so uh we have other you know uh, papers to talk about as well uh, namely the transcripts from these whistleblowers which now amount to more um than uh than uh the uh, irs whistleblower mr shapley um who you know has obviously offered uh his his take as uh as a supervisory agent um in uh, the past there's now the a uh a, a named i'm being serious here mr x uh can, can people come up with more Fancy, you know, names. Can't, you know, we, we we've lost something since the days of Deep Throat. I, um, I think we need a we need to bring back Ron Mexico. Yes, exactly. Bring back Ron Mexico. Pierre um, Delecto. Yeah, Pierre Delecto. Um, the the thing that is uh, telling about these transcripts, of course, 
Um, and now, you know, obviously independently verified by the New York Times, you know, interviews with multiple different uh, entities uh, across the legacy media um, and uh, a noted uh, increase of interest, I would say, especially from CBS uh, in this story. Um, we now know that we have multiple witnesses on the record saying that they were told in various meetings uh, by uh, the Delaware U.S. attorney, David Weiss, that essentially he did not have the power to proceed uh, in the manner necessary to charge Hunter Biden on certain counts in California or in D.C. because the uh, local U.S. attorneys would not go along with him on that. Uh, you know, U.S. attorneys have to basically uh, get the cooperation of those attorneys in order to press charges in those in those districts that are not uh, under their leadership. And he did not get those, which flies in the face of the testimony from Merrick Garland to the Congress that uh, that Mr. Weiss had. Uh, you know, total carte blanche to basically, you know, conduct this investigation as he saw fit. Um, and this happened in front of multiple witnesses who have now come forward. Um, and, uh, you know, in addition to that, we know about the the fact that higher ups within the DOJ, uh, you know, it basically nixed every kind of logical thing that you would do in a situation like this, including, but not limited to uh, searching the home where, uh, Hunter Biden was currently living at the time, which happened to be the guest house on uh, Joe Biden's property uh, because of the optics of the situation. Uh, look, regardless of what you think is going to come out at the end of this, uh, you know, this is a story that continues to have more information as the weeks go by, including new WhatsApp messages where he's promising various things, uh, you know, on behalf of the Bidens, plural, to uh, to various officials. Uh, in this Chinese energy firm uh, and uh, and to others as well. Uh, it certainly looks really, really bad. We know whatever it is, it's bad. It's just a question of whether it connects uh, to the president uh, in a more uh, direct way or in a financial way, which I'm not sure we're going to ever get to the bottom of, but we'll, we'll see. I'm just curious what you think about the impact that this has uh, particularly in the context of Trump's legal own legal problems, does this basically render all of this moot? Um, and and secondly, do you think it was a mistake for Joe Biden to come out from the beginning and make a claim that he never discussed any of Hunter's business dealings, a blanket claim that he never discussed any business dealings with him, given that it was essentially this past week walked back by one of the White House spokesmen uh, who essentially changed it to he was never a partner in any business dealings, which to me says they're worried that there is some kind of proof or some kind of thing that's in there that indicates that he did have those kinds of conversations with Hunter. Um, gentlemen, what do you think about this? I think it only well, I think it only matters in as much as it is going to continue to be a distraction for, for President Biden. Um, you know, it's, it, look, it's not, it's not helpful for him when the home team, you know, the legacy networks are out there, um, you know, sharing stories that are not, you know, I, I think it gives a, a whole new credibility to the whistleblowers on this. Um, but you know, let's, let's fast forward. Let's say that the, the, you know, that this plays out over the next whatever number of months, 14, 15 months, whatever gets to November of next year. You know, if Trump is the nominee and Biden's the nominee, they're both rolling in with what, at least 46, 47%. And, you know, do, do those voters that are going to swing the election, you know, do they care about this? I think it's more likely they're going to care about it because I think it's more likely Trump actually faces legal jeopardy for, from this. 
um, you know, with regard to to, to Biden. Uh, here, here's the one thing. Here's the one twist on this. Um, you know, at some point, does you know, does does Biden say, you know, what I'm going to take one for the team and I'm not going to run for re-election? You know, so basically to set himself up to pardon his son on the way out the door. Um, you know, I, th- I think it's probably far fetched, but I mean, th- is this make a difference in the Democratic primary? Are are the people with the long knives, like you know, Gavin Newsom, going to say, hey, you know, this guy's mm-hmm. got some problems for reelect? Uh, you know, you, there's the stories now about uh, you know Kamala trying to launch herself again as a a, a figure of prominence, but <laughs> you know, I I don't I think I think the Hunter thing is is kind of priced in. I think it is troubling. I think it's troubling for the country, but you know. I think that there's more damage that can be done to Trump um, by the legal process than can happen to Biden. And I think that that more so than politics is really the only thing that kind of matters out of all this. I I would just say, I don't think it matters. I don't think it's substantive enough. Well, it's definitely substantive enough. Let me rephrase that. I don't think it's going to make a dent in the, in the primary, the democratic primary. There's just exceptional party unity on the democratic side, the last seven, eight years. I, I do think it might matter in suppressing turnout in a general, I think, depending on how bad it gets. And I I think, to your point, Ben, again, it, it does neutralize, to some extent, Trump's legal problems. And and I'll just I'll, I'll just say a couple of things. One is, you know, if if if, you know, by, there's plenty of blame to go around for this. But if Biden is responsible for kind of monetary inflation uh, in the country in the last few years, then. You know, both parties are responsible for kind of scandal inflation and what the what the bar is to actually get somebody excited about uh, about a scandal. I'll just say hypothetically, right? Imagine if this exact fact pattern, you know, change the names and faces and positions on the family tree. If this exact fact pattern were involved Roger Clinton or Hillary and Whitewater in 1993, they would have lost the presidency. I feel pretty confident of that. I feel like they would have been impeached and especially in Clinton's first term, right? They would have been impeached. And because, because in many ways it was the Clinton impeachment over, you know, oral sex that started the kind of chain of events of scandal inflation that we're reaping the whirlwind of now. But I, I think everyone should be clear out on that. 25 years ago, 20 years ago, this scandal is a presidency killer. And we're sitting here talking and all of us basically agree that it's going to do no such thing and probably won't have too much of an impact, you know, maybe on the margins. Well, so that is a, a damning fact in its in its own right. In fact, I think that it is more damning uh, what we learned uh, uh, this week, uh, which is that um, if you if you want to talk about a presidency presidency killer, um, the White House was uh, uh, forced to admit that the indentations in the side of Joe Biden's face are because he's begun using a CPAP machine. Um, I don't know if you you saw that. Um, I did. <laughs> uh, they they tried to make this something that is not new, but it is in fact quite new. Uh, and he was noticeably sporting some indentations in his cheeks, and those probably will matter more <laughs> to his electoral uh, uh, benefit or or negativity than than right. this entire scandal. Um, I uh, uh, you mentioned Kamala, uh, the uh, John uh, the. There's a big Politico piece about Harris on the hot seat. Veep has critical stretch ahead as campaign heats up. The vice president has a portfolio and finally some stability, but she doesn't yet have the polls. About those polls, let us give our compliments today to one Tiana Lowe, 
uh, whose whose headline at the Washington Examiner is perhaps uh, you know one of the most perfect that I've seen in weeks. Kamala Harris is less popular than Dick Cheney after he shot a guy in the face, <laughs> which is uh, just just uh, excellent. Um, as you may have as you may have seen, uh, just thirty two percent of voters. Uh, view Harris positively. She's negative 17, which is the uh, lowest level of support for a vice president uh, that we can find in the modern era of polling. Do you think that this is a drag on the Biden-Harris campaign, um, given that so many of the people, even the people who are supporting him, uh, concede that they don't think that he'll make it to a full term? John? I I think that that's the part where where it does begin to matter but i think that you know that's the one where again you kind of need to see presuming that trump is the nominee you know if it's like carrie lake then you know maybe not then you know that Mm -hmm. kamala is you know would be the actual more serious figure then at that point um but i I think that i think that i think it was a mistake for biden to go with her in the first place um you know to have your vice president be someone who literally called you a racist on a debate stage and you reward her with the vice presidency uh I, you know, I think that she was someone that I had look, on paper. She seems like she should have been an amazing candidate in 20, you know, six or 2020, uh, 2016, 2020. And, um, you know, just completely fizzled. And um, I mean, it's look, all the like Kamala, Sabrina Meyer things. Like, it's just, I mean, it's like kind of funny because it's true. There's a lot of that's even, even that article that sort of walks through, um, you know, her team strategizing about how to get her out there more those kind of things um, have like real deep vibes. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, look, I, I think that for, for what she represents, you know, the, the, the historicness of her person in the vice presidency, I don't think there's any way that Biden could, could move on from her. Um, I mean, truth be told, I, you know, I, 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 as an American, you know, I, I would probably prefer, you know, somebody like Raphael Warnock, you know, in that, that position, uh, as a Republican, I wouldn't because I think he is a way more capable campaigner. Uh, let's not forget that in you know one of her first statewide races, um, you know, Kamala just barely eked it out when she was you know San Francisco uh, DA mm-hmm. running against the Los Angeles County Republican DA. I mean, it was a extremely close race. Um, so I know I know I it was a slip of the tongue for you to say that she would have been a stronger candidate in 2016, but she would have been a stronger candidate in 2016. She was a at that point, she was a law and order attorney general. You know, in a sense, I think that the the Senate uh, and the wokeness that came with her kind of racial uh, language and and a focus on a lot of those issues uh, as her policy vibe, you know, connected to her jittery shall we say speaking style um uneven uh odd inauthentic uh it, it just i think it it really she became a almost a worse candidate as time went on uh, that's interesting and, and it's it's uh uh you know there's i did not hear this from from him but i will share a comment that was attributed by a friend of mine to van jones uh that kamala is a great first date <laughs> and, and I think that there's de- definitely a lot of truth to that. Uh, it just gets worse from there. Um, so uh, before we wrap up, uh, Dan uh, and John, I want you to weigh in on the possibility teased in Axios uh, this morning that Donald Trump is planning to return 
to Twitter. They describe it as his happy place. He's been absent for almost two and a half years. Gosh, it just seems like yesterday. Um, and he uh, has, still has 87 million followers. Hasn't posted since he was banned after January 6th. Uh, and the thought apparently is that, you know, rather than stick to his 5 million most loyal follows on Truth, on Truth Social, um, uh, they send those out, by the way, to his campaign list, always head, uh, headlined, uh, in case you missed it, Truth from Donald Trump. Uh, and I think that they should just say, we know you missed it <laughs> because no, nobody on that list is on Truth Social. Um, he is uh, planning apparently to uh, parachute back in uh, and the people closest to him say that he's going to do it to offset bad news. Um, so my question to you is when Donald Trump does come back, what do you think his first tweet's going to be? I, geez, that's, I, that's a great question. I'd want to think about it. I'm sure it will have a few malapropisms, some odd German style capitalizations, maybe a misspelling, um, you know, you know, bigly, what, you know, some of the hits, maybe, maybe he'll bring back Kofivi. I don't know, <laughs> but I, you know, I do think, I do think it's going to make like sort of superficially one. Okay. It's going to make Twitter a marginally worse place Two, It's going to like the swans to Capistrano. It's going to the swans. Is that right? What what goes swallows, to the swallows? The swallows. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, thank you. Like the swallows to Capistrano, you know, it's going to bring back the media and the the you know lefty whiners who you know profess to stir, stir. <laughs> but in fact, all of their you know their entire existences, yeah, exactly, are defined by this guy. It's gonna it's it's gonna be unbearable. I think on a substantive level, I should just not be fully snarky and just say that it it sucks to me. Uh, because it, it will be sort of the, when, when Musk said, you know, whatever, however long ago it was, you know, his bands lifted, he'd come back whenever he wants. It, it was confirmation, like literally nothing happened to this guy due to his role in the, uh, you know, in January 6th and, and the stuff that led up to it, nothing happened to him. The Twitter ban was like the only punishment he faced for it. And then it was lifted. So I think it's a bummer all around. It'll make Twitter a crappier place because again, everyone will just be sucked into him as the main character every day. Um, and you know, I'll continue to not the beauty of, of, of Trump is you don't have to follow him. You're going to see whatever yeah. he 650 times anyway. <laughs> John, do you have a, do you have a preferred subject matter or, or idea for his first tweet back? I think he just needs to do, you know, Return of the King with the uh, Brian Cranston mic drop and just leave it like that for a couple of days. <laughs> uh, I I was thinking that he could say uh, that he could just pick a moment when Lizzo has done something and he could just say, I've still never seen a thin person drinking Diet Coke. <laughs> just just a total sequel, play the hits kind of thing. Um, the, you know, look, he, he's going to come back and it's going to, it's going to take over the cycle again. And we're just going to see this whole thing play out because all we do now in America is sequels, uh, sequels, reboots, recast, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and unfortunately I think that's what we're going to live through again. A couple more things before we wrap up, uh, Francis Suarez, uh, the Democrat, I know he's technically a Republican, but Democrat who is running for the Republican nomination, uh, who obviously, uh, voted for both Clinton and Biden and uh, Andrew Gillum uh, uh, under his own admission uh, was doing an interview with my uh, good pal, Hugh Hewitt, who once wrote an entire chapter of a book about why I was wrong about Mitt Romney being a loser. 
Um, and now I uh, talk to him every Friday on the radio. So we've made peace. Uh, he uh, was doing an interview as he is wont to do. And when you do an interview with Hugh Hewitt and you are a, a candidate, you have to know that he's going to ask you at least one, but possibly all three uh, questions, uh, you know, that he normally does uh, regarding things. Uh, Vivek Ravaswamy got the nuclear triad question, which he obviously fumbled uh, a, a couple of months ago. Uh, Francis Suarez, <laughs> I don't think that this was intended in any way as a gotcha question, uh, was asked about what he, uh, uh, whether he would, uh, you know, be taking on uh, the challenge of uh, China's treatment of the Uyghurs, uh, to which he responded, "The what?" <laughs> causing uh, Hugh to to repeat the question, and he said, "What's a Uyghur?" <laughs> and and, and uh, Hugh said that uh, Suarez has got to get smart on that. Uh, are you at all surprised that this is an unserious uh, candidate with an unserious uh, approach to uh, foreign policy? No, I do think it's kind of funny, you know, that that Hugh, God bless him. I mean, you're right. He didn't he didn't intend it as a gotcha question. He's you, just so uh, since... you ask some gotcha questions, but they're they're only gotcha questions if you're like not well read. Yeah, <laughs> but, but he's so earnest. Just yeah. like a, I don't think he expected that. <laughs> he followed. He followed it. Up, Suarez followed it up, and they say, "I'll look into what 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 do you call it? A weeble." <laughs> Uyghurs wobble, but they don't fall down. Uh, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, he did intend it. God bless him. He's so earnest about the issue and it is an important issue and, and, and good, good for him for bringing it up. I don't blame a guy running a stunt candidacy who's trying to run, you know, uh, trying to run a city made most famous by a Will Smith track. Um, I don't blame him for not, for not having a nuanced answer on that, but I, I do enjoy the earnestness. John, do you have any thoughts on, on Mr. Suarez? I mean, he's he's not going anywhere. I mean, I think the question to like anyone other than I mean, we probably know the universe of people between the three of us who care about the answer on that. You know, it's uh, I'd be more interested in kind of what work he would be on dealing with China generally. But um, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think he's done some interesting stuff in Miami, but like, yeah, stick with that. the biz business environment in Miami is great. Um last uh item for us before we uh before we close things out uh kareen john pierre on the day that we are recording today uh canceled uh an appearance on abc's the view uh she said that she was doing it in order to support the striking writers uh and uh, as it turns out uh the view if you did not know employs members of the writers guild of america i was gonna um, say that show has writers so I was going to tell show? you, I was going to tell you, not only do they have writers, they have multiple writers for jokes, for jokes that are told on The View. There are multiple writers working behind the scenes who are apparently members of the Writers Guild of America. Uh, so you are seeing their best work whenever you hear Joy Behar make a joke. That stuff was punched up. That stuff worked through the writer's room before it got on air. <laughs> Which I, I think would come uh, as a shock to many, uh, but is unfortunately true. And it's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, hats off to Greg Gutfeld. Congratulations on his move uh, up to the 10 p.m. slot. It's one of the reasons that he is so consistently beating The Tonight Show and everything else with non-Writers Guild affiliated writers. So uh, I think that, that uh, it's just a commentary on the on the degree to which 
uh, the the quality of, of comedy writing about politics is in the absolute crapper in this day and age. Uh, go back and watch some old Norm Macdonald weekend updates, guys. It's it's way way better. So, hey, Ben, uh, this is this is this is your jam. But can I can I say I just want for this week? Can we nominate a king of the week? Because it, there's sure. some guy this week that I think just stands out more than anybody you wrote about him recently. Senator Mark Wayne Mullen challenging the president of the Teamsters to an MMA match for charity. <laughs> go off king (laughs) an absolute absolute king move from mark wayne you can read my profile of him at the spectator.com uh and i thoroughly i thoroughly agree with that and i think that you know especially in the sort of accepting the false bravado of a lot of people in politics uh and just responding to it as if you take it seriously is a really good move just generally not since jim bob cooter has a guy with two first names uh just captured our hearts and minds <laughs> and and you will find out you will find out in my piece in fact where he got those two first names and why the rumor about uh that, that dominates capitol hill is actually wrong uh so anyway uh check it out uh for uh dan and john this has been thunderdome uh we'll be back soon to count up all the wins and losses of the 2024 cycle thank you for listening <laughs>